This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. I once had an aunt who lived in New York. Actually, most of my family is up in New York. And she passed away when I was, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13. And um, I was close to her, loved her a lot. Um, and whenever she died, she left a small bit of inheritance for me. And it was like a certain time, like I had to wait till I was a certain age before I collected the inheritance. And it was just sort of stashed away. And part of it went to buying my really sweet go-kart that had these enormous tires and I destroyed that thing having fun in it. And then the rest of it went to, um, I went to a, a private high school that was way more expensive than my poor ministry family could handle. And so the rest of it went to my schooling. And it was an interesting feeling being like, okay, there's money there. It is mine, but it's there. I can't reach it. And yet it was committed to me. My name was on it, you know? And kind of like grab on to that thought because we're going to see that take place in the scripture that we have here. Turn your Bibles to Colossians. You're going to go to the last quarter of the Bible. If you cut that in half, you're probably going to land in Romans or Acts. Keep going right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's electric power company. Stop in company. That's Colossians. I had a lot of fun in that go-kart. Oh, man. I destroyed some stuff. I definitely destroyed the go-kart. There was one time when I was like in a Christmas parade with my go-kart. And uh, I had destroyed the brakes, cutting 180s in gravel. And I literally had to ride the brakes the entire time I was riding the gas because the gas was stuck. And so I was smoking out the crowd on both sides with my brakes. It was amazing. And then another time, I was pulling into the carport. And remember how I said the gas was stuck? Yeah, it was stuck again. And so I launched into the back of the carport and took out two doors at the same time. I loved that go-kart. The memories that it gave me were wonderful. Colossians. Chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. It begins with Paul. Now, do you know what an epistle is? An epistle is simply a letter that one of Jesus' apostles is writing to a church. Now, the apostles have the authority to write with strength, with the same power of Scripture, not because the apostles think that they have it all figured out or all together. The apostles write with authority because they're transmitting the teachings of Jesus, who is God. So Paul writes boldly, not because he has it figured out, but because he is communicating God's word through this letter to this church in Colossae. So it begins with Paul, and if you know anything about Paul, you know he has a really interesting backstory. It begins with his hating Christians. Not only did he hate them, he wanted to see them murdered. And so he gets a letter of approval to go in, into cities and find Christians and drag them out of their homes 
to bring them to trial and hopefully imprison them or maybe even kill them. This is Paul's purpose in life, to persecute Christians. And he was good at it. And he is riding on this road on the way to Damascus, and suddenly a light comes out of nowhere. And he falls off of his horse, and he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in this light. And Jesus speaks to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? As Paul gets up, he finds out that he's totally blind, completely blind. He has to be led by the hand, and he has no idea where he's going. He has no idea what to do next. All he knows is he had this encounter with Jesus that he fell off his horse from, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to connect with one of my people in a certain city. Now, if you're one of these certain people, his name was Ananias, if you're this guy and you hear Paul is coming and he wants to meet you. What's going through your mind? This is the guy who stood by as Stephen was stoned to death for the, same, for the simple reason of Stephen loved Jesus. And then Ananias hears, Paul's coming to your house. How do you feel about this? Ananias is quaking. He's afraid. He hears, oh, well, Paul thinks he had some sort of conversion experience. Or is this entrapment? So Paul shows up, he's totally blind, Ananias obeys God, prays for him, and it says that things like scales fell out of Paul's eyes. And Paul has this conversion experience where he goes from persecuting Christians to being the one who is preaching Jesus the loudest. And he goes on three missionary journeys in his life. And he brings the gospel to places no one else was going. This is Paul, a total 180. So this is who's writing this letter. And he's speaking on behalf of Jesus who he encountered on the road. So verse 1, is everyone there? Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right there. He's saying, I have the authority to teach you Jesus' writings. The apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. Not, I woke up one morning and I really, really, really wanted to be a preacher. No, not, I woke up one morning and I thought, man, this is going to make me a lot of money. I'm going to get a lot of chicks. I'm going to be well known. Nope. Paul isn't saying, I had this really, really good idea and a few friends convinced me it was great. No, he's saying, the only reason that I'm here is because God willed it. Kicked me off a horse, blinded me. God called me. By God's will, I'm an apostle. And Timothy, our brother. Timothy was Paul's partner. He was Paul's scribe. Paul would call him his spiritual son. And Paul's actually going to give him the church in Ephesus to be a pastor over to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Now, Paul has never been to this church in Colossae. Unlike most of the churches that Paul has been to, Paul did not found this. He's never even been there. He's writing a letter to them. So how does he know about a church? We'll get there in a second. And he calls them saints, and he calls them faithful brothers and sisters. And this is going to come up and culminate with a question for you. He calls them saints. Do you know what a saint is? Yell it out to me. What's a saint? How do you define a saint? Is there someone who stands in a picture and does this? No? Yes? 
What's a saint? Come on. How do you define a saint? A saintly person. What does that mean? A believer? A good person? A really, really, really good person? Yeah, go ahead, Sebastian. Someone who's dedicated to the Lord. All of those are good answers. Saint is specifically speaking to holiness. Holiness means set apart. Set apart for a purpose. So when you see in Scripture that someone is a saint, the Scripture calls you, if you love Jesus, a saint, it's meaning that you are set apart for Jesus to be holy, to be set apart for him, with a purpose for him. So to the saints, to those who are holy, to those who are separated from the world for Jesus, and to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. What are brothers and sisters? What does that mean? If someone is a brother or sister, what does that mean? Brother and sister in Christ. But what does it mean to be a brother or sister? They're family. What does that mean? You have a common parent, a common hereditary line. If they're brothers and sisters in Christ, they have a common father. Everyone who loves Jesus has the same father. That is God, the creator of the universe. So right there at the beginning, he's saying, you're the people who are set apart from the rest of the world, from the rest of the communities. You're set apart with a purpose for Jesus, and you have the common unity of being brothers and sisters under the same father, and you're faithful to him. You're faithful to this calling. And you are in Christ. In Christ. Not of Christ. Not by Christ. Not about Christ. You're in Christ. It's this picture of, of unity, of intimacy. You're close to Jesus. Not only are you close to Jesus, but because of what Jesus did at the cross, this is a time to pay attention right now. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, you become united to Christ. You're in Christ. You receive, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, when you call him your Lord and he saves you, you receive all the spiritual blessings that Jesus has. You become an inheritor of, of the kingdom of heaven. You become filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the righteousness of God himself laid over you. You have all the blessings that Jesus has when you are in Christ, when you're unified to him. So to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Oh, wait, I skipped a line. Grace to you and peace from our God the Father. I don't want to skip this one. This is pretty cool. So whenever you meet someone and you shake hands, what do you say? Nice to meet you. Hello. Hi. Howdy. How are you doing? Right? So if you lived when this letter was written and you were Jewish when you shook hands with someone, you would say, Shalom which means peace, peace to you. Hope your life's full of peace. Now, if you're Greek, you would say grace, grace to you. Hope your life is full of grace. Now, Greeks, when they talk about grace, they're talking about a pagan, non-Christian idea of grace. If you're Jewish, you're also talking about a non-Christian idea of peace. And so when Paul opens here, he opens with grace and peace. Now get this, Paul opens every single one of his letters with grace and peace. In fact, Peter opens up with his two letters with grace to you and peace. 
John opens up four of, or two of the four of his writings with grace to you and peace. And it's always in the order of grace first and then peace. Does anyone want to guess why? They're taking these terms that are common and they're elevating them with new meaning. They're elevating them with new purpose. Grace for a Christian represents God's favor that you didn't earn, a gift that you don't deserve. The only reason that we would know Jesus is that God has given us the gift of hearing about Jesus, of responding to Jesus, of having the ears and eyes to go, wow, Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord of Lords. He loves me. That's God's grace to people that didn't earn it. From the worst sinner to the person who thinks that they're the best in the world, if God calls them, he is giving them grace that they did not earn and peace, incredible peace. Because once we were enemies of Father God, once we were in rebellion against him, I want to live my life my way. And if we reject God, we are his enemy. And his wrath is poured out against all sin and sinners and unbelief. And then what Jesus does at the cross, when he gives grace, is he, be, he brings peace between us and God. Unity, communion, fellowship between us and the Father that we were once in rebellion against. And so when you see grace and peace, they're in that order because first comes grace. He gives grace to his people, which brings peace between us and the Father. He elevates a Greek term and he elevates a Jewish term to mean something so much more in Jesus. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. We always thank God. So Paul, first of all, realized this. Paul is praying for people he's never even met before. He is fervently praying. Every time he prays, he remembers the church at Colossae. How many times do you have a hard time remembering to pray for the people that you love? How many times do you have trouble remembering the people that you walk past every day at school? And Paul is saying, we are fervently praying on your behalf. That's so beautiful. Praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we heard of your faith, wait, how did Paul hear about them? If he's never been there before, if he's never traveled to Colossae, how does he hear about this church? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see that triad right there? It's faith in Christ Jesus, love you have for the saints, and hope that you have laid up for heaven. And he's heard about it. Faith in Christ Jesus. You know, faith means more than just mentally accepting something to be true. Faith is actually taking action based on your trust that it's true. It's one thing to say, I totally believe that chair can hold me. It's another thing to go stand on the chair. It's one thing to say, sure, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Sure, I believe he rose from the grave. It's an entirely different thing for you to say, Jesus is the Savior of my life, and I'm going to obey him 
because I know that I know that it's true. Completely different. Faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus and love that you have for all the saints. Imagine a candle that's lit. Everyone thinking about it? Imagine a candle that's lit. Think about it. It's like flickering, right? It's a little orange, a little yellow. Every now and then it gives a little spark, a little little thing of smoke coming off the top. Imagine that candle in your mind. Now, what if that candle had heat and it was lit, but there was no light? You're like, that... I can't even, like, what is that? Is that just like a black hole, like, above, the, above the, the wax? Like, what is that? You see, faith in Christ will always, 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 always emanate love. James says, if you think that you can have faith without works, I will show you my faith by my works. How can you talk to someone and say, oh, I see you're cold, I see you're hungry. Go, and I hope you get warm, and I hope you get fed. That's not love. No. If you have faith in Jesus, it will naturally create a byproduct, and it's love for people. It's love for the saints. It's love for Christ's church, Christ's church that he loved so much that he died for. Even all the way back into the Psalms, in Psalm 16, David says, your holy anointed ones, your people, I rejoice in them and I love them. John, all the way through the Gospels, Jesus says it in John, he says, if you're my followers, people are going to know that you're my followers because what? Because you love people. In 1 John, it says, if you don't love people, it's an evidence that you're not saved. Goal. And there's nothing but darkness in you. Faith in Christ is like that fiery flame. And it's going to emanate love for people. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope. Hope here is not like, I hope Santa brings me a skateboard. Hope is not, I studied my best and I hope I get an A. That's a, very, that's a very different understanding of hope than what Paul is writing about here. When Paul writes hope, he writes expectancy. It is as good as being in the bank. It is happening. And you know what? Your hope, it's actually laid up for you in heaven. It's set aside for you, this hope of salvation. Hebrews is very clear about this. It says that, that our hope, our hope and our salvation, Jesus goes before us as our high priest, and our hope and salvation is our anchor. Our anchor. An anchor isn't a wishful thought. An anchor is something sturdy. It's locked on. It'll hold you down when everything gets crazy. When the storm comes, when you're drifting, the anchor holds tight. That's what our hope is in. But our hope is not in nothing. Our faith is not in nothing. Our faith is in Jesus, and our hope is in his promise that he's laid up for us salvation in heaven, just like that little inheritance that my aunt gave me. It's set apart for the future. 
And it is as good as done. It, if you love Jesus in here, if he has saved you, your salvation is as good as done. It's an anchor you can hold on to. And you know what? No matter how bad life gets, no matter what deaths happen in your family, no matter what sicknesses you deal with, no matter what pains or strifes or problems you go through, when you realize that your salvation is laid up in heaven for you and it's as good as in the bank with your name on it, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did, all of that stuff pales in comparison to eternity. All of a sudden, when Jesus says, it's better for you to forfeit your life so you can have your soul. Take up, my, take up your cross and follow me. It's better. Like, this life has nothing that offers any lasting value. Whenever you're considering eternity, the only thing of lasting value is whether or not your salvation is laid up for you in heaven, that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, that Jesus calls you his. Spurgeon told the story of two men in a white water raft, and, the, and they're carried away. I don't know if their paddles are gone, but they're careening down these rapids, and they're hopeless, except they're even more hopeless because they see a waterfall coming, and it is a fatal waterfall. And someone on the shore throws a lifeline out to them, and one guy grabs the lifeline and makes it to shore safely. The other guy sees a passing log that looks really sturdy, so he slips out of the boat and grabs a hold of the log. But the log is carried in the current as well, so he goes over the waterfall never to be heard from again. You can't just put your faith in anything. Your faith has to be in the right thing. Your hope and expectancy has to be in the right place. What is your faith in? What are you banking on at death? What are you banking on for the next moment of air? What is your faith in? Sure, there's a myriad of other gods in this world and deities and religions that we could talk about, but let's get real. For us in this room, our faith most often is in our own strength. If I can make that grade and I can get the job and I can date that person, if I, 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 and I'm telling you that every time you put your faith in I, you're grabbing onto a great sturdy log that's floating the same direction you were when you were already careening towards destruction. But when you put your faith in Jesus, who didn't just throw you a lifeline, but he died on the cross and sacrificed himself to bring peace to the Father so that you might turn to him. This isn't a lifeline that came without a price. The lifeline landing in the water by you is stained with blood. Will you grab onto it? Will you make Jesus your savior? Will you respond to his call? Faith in Jesus Christ, love for the saints, hope, expectancy laid up in heaven. Of this, what is this referring to? Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. You've heard the gospel tonight. The gospel is that God himself stepped out of heaven for the sake of his people, that they might repent from their sin and obey him. The gospel which has come to you. How did the gospel come to him? How is Paul hearing about this? As indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, yet it also 
does among you since the day you heard it and understood it. So the gospel is doing something crazy. I love how God takes historical events and his word and he lines them up for perfect timing. If you go and study the the reformation of the church 500 years ago, it's amazing God's perfect timing and how that played out. Come and talk to me afterwards if you're curious. Wild. But right here, we have one of those watershed moments where the Roman Empire owns most of the known world. And because of that, most of the known world all speaks the second language of Greek. So when the gospel lands and Jesus' apostles go out and begin to preach truth, they preach in a language that everyone is already familiar with. And suddenly the gospel spreads like wildfire. And the Holy Spirit is pushing it every step of the way. And it's going places that no one would ever have thought it would make it. It's making it to India. And it's making it to Asia Minor. And it's making it to Rome. And it's making it to Germany. And it's making it to crazy places. People on foot. And the gospel is exploding. This gospel in verse 5 is called the word of truth that they heard. Do you know why truth is powerful? Do you know why truth is powerful? It's very simple. Truth is powerful because it's true. It carries weight. It carries an objective stance of reality. And when we're talking about the gospel, when we're talking about truth, all truth lends back to truth himself. Remember what we talked about, the attributes of God? That all of God's attributes are infinite. All of God's attributes are perfect. All of God's attributes are unchanging. So if God is truth, then God is infinitely truthful. He is perfectly truthful, and he is unchangingly truthful. And if the gospel is the truth for the nations, for every lost heart, for every leathery mind and scaly eye and heart of stone, then the truth has power because it's propelled by the truth of who God is. And it goes places, and it does things, and it changes unchangeable places. The word of gospel, this word of truth that they have heard. Has anyone heard the saying, preach the gospel if you must use words? Anyone heard that saying? You'll see it like a crocheted on pillows, you know, you, Facebook posts like a pretty sunset. Preach the gospel if you must use words. Terrible idea. The gospel is heard. It's brought by the voice of a messenger. Romans 10 is so clear. It says, how can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear unless there's a preacher? How can someone preach unless they're sent? The gospel comes down to communicating clearly through words. If not, then all they see is a testimony of what a good person looks like. But unless that good person actually opens their mouth and says, I serve Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. He changed me from the inside out. There is no gospel testimony in your life. 
you are a flame with no light. And it bears the question if you are a flame at all. Unless you are salt and you are light, you need to question whether you are in the faith, whether you're a servant of Jesus, because he transforms us. And those whose faith is in Jesus beam love because their love and their faith in Jesus is out of expectancy and hope for heaven. And we bring everyone we can with us. It's laid up. They have heard the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it's going everywhere. It's bearing fruit and it's increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from, ha-ha, Epaphras, or Epaphras. I've heard it said both ways. Epaphras. Can you all say Epaphras? Epaphras. No, he was definitely not a pacifist. Epaphras, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So we find out how does a church that Paul has never been to know about Jesus? How does this church have a foundation that Paul can thank God that they have faith in Jesus, love for the saints, and hope in heaven? Because this one guy took the truth of the gospel home. Epaphras probably met Paul when he was living in Ephesus for three years, founding the church there. And he sat under Paul's teachings and he went home to his hometown in Colossae. And in fact, he founded three churches, one in Laodicea, which you probably heard of that one in the book of Revelation, one in, oh man, what's that church called? It's okay. It's in Colossians 4. And then in Colossae. And turn to Colossians 4 with me for just a second. Look what Paul has to say about Epaphras. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is listing out his compatriots in the faith, those people that have not fallen away when things got really hard. And look what he says about Epaphras in chapter, tw- in chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you? He's your people, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always. And what does he do? He's struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras went home, and he took the gospel home. And now he's visiting Paul, and I'll give you sort of a a newsflash of the coming weeks. In the church at Colossae, these heresies are coming in. These strange mystery cults are trying to influence the people in Colossae. Judaism is trying to make a rebound in the church in Colossae. People are trying to worship angels, and they're trying to do these weird things. And Epaphras has come to Paul, and he's saying, Paul, I need advice. What do I do? What do I do? when these heresies are bleeding in to God's people. And so Epaphras has traveled to Rome where Paul is. And Paul right now can't go to Colossae because right now on his left hand and on his right hand, he is chained. He has been taken to Rome 
in chains because of his love and his preaching of Jesus. And Epaphrastus traveled to Rome and met him in prison to ask, what do I do? And Paul writes back to Colossae and he puts a letter in the hand of Tychicus and says, Tychicus, I need you to circulate this among the churches that Epaphras founded. And I want you to tell them about Epaphras' heart for them. Epaphras struggles. He grapples. He fights in prayer for them. Right here in the first eight verses of Colossians, we have a picture of evangelism. We have Epaphras, who is the perfect example of a man who met Jesus through the example of Paul and met truth, the truth of the gospel, and then he took it home. And then founded three churches. And Epaphras' heart is the gospel will not be silent. It will keep pushing. He labors in prayer for these people that he loves. Have you ever considered that the only reason you've ever heard the name Jesus is because someone said it and told you about Jesus? But did they wake up imbued with the knowledge of God? No. Someone told them about Jesus. And that someone was ministered to by someone else and someone else. Do you know why I know about Jesus? Because my mom had a roommate in college that was a Christian. And my mom got so fed up of this girl's blabbering about Jesus that my mom chunked a hairbrush at her and put a hole in the wall. And it was because of a roommate telling her about Jesus that eventually throwing a hairbrush turned into her repenting of her sin and giving her life to Jesus. And she turned and prayed for her future husband. Her future husband who had the gift of acting and singing, who would sing in churches to make money but didn't care, who had an encounter with Jesus because of the prayers of his someday-to-be wife. That's why I know about Jesus. Because someone took the gospel of truth home. Elevate. If Jesus has saved you and he's the Lord of your life, you carry one of the most impactful and powerful truths that this earth, let's be real, this is the only most impactful truth this earth will ever know. And it's a truth of a fork in the road. And let me tell you about this fork in the road. There is a narrow gate and there is a very wide gate. And the wide gate is marked heaven. It just doesn't go there. And this world needs someone standing at that fork for their friend. And this world needs someone standing at that fork in the road for their brothers and their sisters and their moms and their dads and the bully at school and the person online. This world needs epiphrases standing at the fork of the road saying, it's not this way. It's the narrow way. It's the hard way. It's the way of holiness. It's the way of being a brother and sister in Christ. It's the way of repentance, of feeling the guilt for your sin and crying out to the only one who can bring peace between you and the Father. 
Epaphras stood at a fork in the road for people he loved. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to be bold enough that they throw a hairbrush at. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to love enough to stand at the fork in the road and tell them about the lie of the sign of the wide gate. Who is that? Let's all bow our heads. Everyone, I'd like everyone to bow their heads. Yeah, worship team, you can come up. Thank you, guys. No looking around. Keep your eyes closed. I'm going to pray for a second, and then I'm going to talk to you again. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you are working right now in this room, that you are calling to mind a name and a face of someone in our life that we can begin struggling in prayer for. Someone that we can bring truth home to. Lord, begin to, to bring that mind or that picture to mind, that name to mind. All right, Elevate, I'm talking to you again. Keep your, keep your eyes closed, heads down. I'd like you to, if you have a name in mind of someone that you're going to begin to pray for, that you're going to be the epiphras for, that you're going to stand in the fork of the road for, I'd like you to just raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for the people that you're thinking of. Don't look around. This is between you and the Lord, because it's only the Lord that can save. If you have someone in mind that you're going to begin praying for, just hold your hand up, and I'm going to pray for every hand that's in the air. Lord, you see the hearts you stirred their minds, and you see every hand. And these hands, let, the, let these hands be hands of pleading. Let these hands be hands of love. Let these hands be hands of giving, of reaching out, of going the distance, of maybe making someone angry for the sake of that fork in the road, of that waterfall, of that terminal waterfall that's there. Let them be willing. Give them the strength to throw a line stained with the blood of your son to those that they're thinking about right now. Thank you, guys. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray that you are moving in all of us. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Father, cut them to the heart for the sake of their eternity to know you, the Prince of Peace, to have expectancy of, of a reward and a treasure in heaven. And that treasure isn't gold. That treasure is not a mansion. Lord, the reward that's set apart for us and stored up in heaven is you, the creator and lover of our souls. Lord, call anyone in here that doesn't know you. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that calls themselves a Christian, but they've been lying to themselves, open their eyes. Make that a reality in their hearts. And Lord, let your people in this room bear fruit, the fruit of a gospel of truth. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for epiphrases in these aisles. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.